0: Welcome to the Gathering at Adel. Today's message is continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. You have heard, this is Jesus talking, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Verse 25 it says, Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, it says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your, for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, pray that you would open it up, make it alive and active. Father, I pray that you would teach us that your Holy Spirit would just pierce the hearts of men. Father, that, that, that the words that I say are not my own. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. In verse 21, it starts off, we're going to look at two things today, murder, adultery, anger, and lust. But verse 21, Jesus starts his teaching through here, and there's going to be six phrases coming up that we'll cover in the next couple of weeks. But six times, Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you this. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you this. And you see, Jesus is coming, he's sitting down on the mountainside with his followers, and he's beginning to teach the new covenant. He's beginning to say, you've heard that it was said, or that the law that was given to Moses said this, but I am coming to tell you this. You have to understand that four verses right before this, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I did not come to get rid of it, but everything, every T will be crossed, every I will be dotted, and I will fulfill that. And he says that you, that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees or you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So right after that, I mean, that's kind of disheartening. right? The Pharisees, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees dedicated their lives to knowing, to memorizing the law, to following it exactly as the law said to do. So you can imagine as a Christ follower going, how are we ever going to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? And so right after that, Jesus comes into verse 21, and he says, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, if anyone is angry with your brother... Or sister, then you've already committed murder in your heart. Jesus is coming with the new covenant. This one is, this one is more difficult. Do not murder. I, it's safe to say that probably 99% of us, maybe 100% of us in here, have held to that. That's easy. But then Jesus says, hey, but wait, don't have anger in your heart. Don't be angry with a brother. Don't insult him. Don't call him a fool. If you've done that, then you've already committed it. But the difference is we're under the covenant of grace. The the law led to death. Nobody was saved by the law, but through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. How, How in the world can this happen? Because the Pharisees, how is our righteousness going to exceed those of the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees on the outside had it all together, but on the inside, they were dead. They followed the letter of the law, but they missed the spirit of the law. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says, hey, don't don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So the Pharisees on the outside looked good, but on the inside, they were being dead day by day. But us as Christ's followers... We're being renewed day by day. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that Jesus, who knew no sin, took our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. How is our righteousness going to exceed that of the Pharisees? One, because it's not about the outward appearance anymore, but it's about being renewed day by day on the inside. And two, it's because now, because of the blood of Jesus, we are now declared the righteousness of God. You have heard that it was said, do not murder And there was probably a collective sigh. Can you imagine being on the mountainside and Jesus comes and says, hey, your righteousness is going to have to exceed that of the Pharisees. And he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. And they're going, that's right, Jesus' sixth commandment. I've got it. I'm not concerned. I can put the notepad up for a bit, right? Jesus said, don't murder. But then all of a sudden he gets in a little bit deeper and he says, Anyone that's angry with his brother or sister, anyone that insults his brother, anyone who calls his brother a fool is subject to judgment. Murder is an external act of violence, but anger is the internal posture from which it emerges. Murder is an external act of violence. Anger is an internal posture from which it emerges. Jesus is more concerned with what's happening in our heart because if he gets our heart, then the actions stop. Here in America, we, we have a lot, of, like, like we're the land of the free, home of the brave. But yet we have more laws that govern and regulate how to act and how to behave. But in spite of all of those laws, that we have the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world. We have two million people in prisons right now. With all the laws and the rules that are set in place, <coughs> there's still chaos. So Jesus is coming through here and he's saying, hey, you've heard that it was said this, but I'm telling you this because you, it's easy to legislate external acts. It's hard to legislate what happens in the heart. You can make murder illegal, but it's still going to happen. But if you can get to the heart of men and women and children... And you replace the anger with love. It seems like a simple concept. And I'm not saying like it's it's possible right now in, in the entire world. But that's what happens. Jesus is after our heart so that our actions will follow. The word Jesus uses for anger describes someone that is carrying anger or nursing a grudge. We would say bitterness or resentment. And Jesus equates that to the same as murder. Because the spirit of the law is to love our neighbors in such a way that anger is overcome. The Pharisees were great at carrying out the letter of the law. It said, don't murder. We didn't do it. It says to to tithe 10% of our spices, and we did that. And it says to do this and this and this, and we've done all of that. But have you ever been around somebody? Maybe you've been married to somebody who has carried out the letter of the law, and they've missed the spirit of the law. Have you been married to someone that, that does the dishes and you know every time they do the dishes, you can hear it, <laughs> you know? It's like, yep, yeah, I know you're doing the dishes. I'm not talking about my wife. <laughs> I'm really not. probably talking about myself more. It's like, oh, sorry, I dropped that dish. But did you hear that? I'm doing the dishes. It's following the letter of the law. The spirit of the law is to do it in such a way that when she shows back up that everything's taken care of and she doesn't even know or care who did it. Jesus comes out strong against anger. He knows that if we, if we allow anger to remain in us, then it will consume us. It will distract us from who we are and uh, what we were meant to be. It will not allow us to see our brothers and sisters as God sees them. It will cause tension and division in his church. Anger, if left undealt with, leads to slander, to rage, and murder. And you might be thinking that Jesus' words don't apply to you. angry, nursing a grudge, bitterness, resentment, you might, you might be very quick to just check that off. Like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm not upset with anybody. I don't keep grudges. Life's too short. All of those things that we say. But can, can I tell you that uh, I've sat down in prayer ministry, deliverance ministry, freedom ministry, healing ministry. I've sat down in front of hundreds of people. And 99% of the time, when you come down to forgiveness that you go, do you have anybody you like to forgive? And they're like, no way, man, I'm good. That's their, that's always their first response. And then you just go, okay, that's impressive. You're 74 years old and you're not mad at anybody. No one's done anything to you ever. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, there was this guy one time. Oh, there there is my mom. There is. My dad, my brother, my sister, a teacher, a coach, a friend, a boss, a coworker, And you're like, you're not, you're not sitting there going, yeah, that's right, you know, but you are going. I've never sat in front of someone and they gone, no, hey, we're good. And you give them some time to think about it and, and then they said, no, hey, I'm still good. Every time. There's, all, there's things that happen in us. So you might think, no way, man, not me. But let me read you some situations and just allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. And if he brings you up, brings a name to you. Even if it's me, if he brings a name to you, I want you to hold on to it. We're going to deal with it before service is over. So here, here is something that would reveal if you're angry or if you have anger in your heart towards somebody. If you've had a verbal or hurtful argument that hasn't been resolved. Not one that's been swept under the rug and you're okay. Oh, that happened so long ago, it doesn't affect me anymore. No, no. Is there a verbal or hurtful argument that isn't resolved? Do you roll your eyes externally or internally when a person speaks? When you find satisfaction when a person is having problems. When you enjoy passing along negative information about a person. When you avoid being in the same place as a person. And when you find when you feel awkwardness or distance in a relationship? Those are just some situations that that if the Lord brought a name to you, like, yeah, you're right. That is a good name. I didn't think about that person. Just hold on to it because we're going to deal with it. What should I do? You have that name. You have that situation. Well, in verse 23 and 24, it says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of you, in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation takes precedence over our worship. God is more concerned with reconciliation with our brothers and sisters than he is what you have to say and offer for him in worship if something's not right. Have you ever noticed that, that there are some people that are really good at compartmentalizing? Like, they, I mean, like, things can just be burning to the ground over here, but that, that's in their work life, and then in their personal life, it's like, whoa, it's great, everything. It's like, what's, what's that? Oh, no, that's just a fire, it's no big deal. God is more concerned with our reconciliation with one another than he is our worship. So much that he says, if you have a, a, a offering, leave it at the altar, go make it right, and then come back. And in our days, that's a lot easier, right? I mean, we can just, okay, literally, Lord, I'll leave in the middle of the service. I can go make a phone call, shoot a text, an email, or I can drive and go make it right. But do you understand that when Jesus was saying this to his followers that were on the mountain, like to... Offer a sacrifice on the altar, it wasn't something that you just got to do every day, that you had access to every day. For for a lot of people, it meant traveling three or four days, five or six days to get to the place where you can have the offering there. And then Jesus says, hey, but you know what? Just leave it there. Go back and make it right. Leave your family again, leave your business, your job, your all that stuff. Leave it, leave it there, go, go make it right. It was much more costly for his followers to listen to this and go, man, this guy means business. But he still means business because if, if you're here today, if you're here next week and the Lord brings somebody to mind, it is better for you to take care of that than to come here and offer your worship. It's costly, but reconciliation takes precedent over our worship. Notice how Jesus commands us to make it right with our brothers and sisters. He doesn't tell us to avoid them, like, hey, you got a problem with them, just stay away from them, or you don't like them, or they don't like you. Have you noticed, though, that a lot of times we tend to flock to people that we like and that like us and that make us feel good and that don't say negative things about us? So many times, and we'll talk about this with anger and we'll talk about it with lust, but so many times we just say, it's so much easier for us to say, hey, Lord, will you just remove that person out of my life? Instead of to really say, Father, that person you know just gets on my nerves. But there's something in them that's going to bring something out of me that I need. Tension in a relationship is good. If there's no tension, it's it's like tug of war. If, if me and my wife are playing tug of war in our relationship, and I'm the only one pulling, that means that she's not fully invested. Those people that are difficult, that frustrate you, that stretch you, that's a good thing. Because it means I love you enough to pull back a little bit on this rope. Because I think you're going in a, in a wrong direction. And I just you just need a little gentle tug. And I think sometimes we take relationships that are hard and difficult. And maybe there's ruptures or fractures in those relationships. And it's so much easier to just write them off. Uh, you hurt me. I hurt you. Uh, I'm done. And we're done. But but ruptures in relationships are actually really healthy things. I'm not a doctor. I've never claimed to be a doctor. And we have one that can correct me. Uh, Privately, not publicly, please. But, but when you have a, a broken bone, it, if it heals properly, it's stronger than it was before. A relationship that is broken or fractured or ruptured, if it's healed properly, it'll be stronger than ever before. Ruptures, fractures in relationships are healthy. Because it tells the other person, man, I'm, what we've got is bigger than this. I, I love you more than this ugly situation we have. Now, if, if it's abusive, if it's violent, if it's belittling, demeaning, you need to get out of that relationship. That That's not good. But if it's just it stretches you and you, you don't really enjoy being around them, maybe there's a reason that you don't. Because maybe... Maybe they they look a little bit like you, and you don't like what that looks like. Tension in in a relationship is healthy that makes sure that everyone's committed. We don't need to get to the level of Johnny Depp and Miss Heard though like that's that's not healthy, all right. If you get to that point, get out of that relationship, but uh, a little bit of tension is good for it. How do we repair the relationship? Are you ready? This, this is, these are going to be three good things. It involves repentance, forgiveness, and humility. Jesus said, go. Leave your, leave your offering here. Go make it right. The first thing is it takes repentance. If you want to make it right with someone, you go to them. You take full responsibility. No excuses. It's so easy to justify ourselves, and and you might be right, you might be wrong, but you can justify yourself any way you would like. If you want to go and make it right to somebody, you go to them. You take full responsibility, and you make no excuses for your behavior. You ask for forgiveness. The reason we ask for forgiveness is because we have to become aware that we are not above the offense that we're holding them guilty of. When we hold bitterness, resentment, anger, unforgiveness towards someone, what we're really saying is, the way that you talk to me, the way that you hurt me, I would never do that to somebody else. And Jesus on the other side is going, that's not entirely true, is it? When we hold unforgiveness towards someone, in our hearts we are saying that I would never do that to another person. We view what they did as unforgivable. And yet we do the same thing. Ours just might look a little different. We might not have said something, but we might have taken something. We might not have taken something, but we might have hurt them physically. We might not have hurt them physically, but we gossiped about them. We're not above what we're holding them guilty of. We, have been, we extend mercy because mercy has been extended to us. Why why do we ask for forgiveness? Because the flow of grace and mercy and forgiveness goes from the Father's throne to me and I extend mercy to other people because I have first received that mercy. And the last way is with humility. Your pride will never allow you to go and ask for forgiveness and repentance before someone. But humility says, this relationship is more important to me than the way that I feel. This this relationship is more important to me than my pride, than me saving face, than me looking like a fool. 27, we're, we're in verse 27 here. I know the kids are in here. This this will be good information. You know, you struggle a lot of times like, man, can we talk about this type of stuff in church? And And this is the safest place to talk about it. And so... Kiddos, if you hear a word or something that you're not familiar with, please go talk to your mom or dad, (laughs) and I will be glad to sit down with you guys also. But Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30, (laughs) someone's about to get hit over there. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if you, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body, body to be thrown into hell. Jesus uses a, a hyperbole at the end of this to prove his point. There was one time this is a a, a pretty good story there one and they still tell it in the same high school that max graduated from or it graduates from because i went there uh our english teacher he was going over the word hyperbole it's spelled hyperbole if you're a 17 year old kid right and so my cousin joseph you'll you hear a lot of his names in my sermons uh joseph came after class he's like hey mr west is talking about hyperboles it but we've all been calling it hyperbole, and he gets really mad. I was like, "That's all I need to know." And it was up on the whiteboard, and uh, I walk in. It's before class had even started, and I walk in. I go, "Mr. West, what's uh, what's hyperbole?" <laughs> and he goes, "Out." <laughs> he kicked me out of his class before it even started, so I had to go sit on the hallway for a whole class period. Because I mean, they had already given him a hard time. I should have seen that one coming. But uh, but but that high, hyperbole is where you use these extreme measures. To prove a point. But we're talking about lust, and we can talk about lust in a lot of different ways, lust after money and wealth and power and influence, but honestly, that's not at all what Jesus is talking about right here. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The definition for lust is any consuming desire that is either out of bounds are out of balance lust is any consuming desire that is either out of bounds or out of balance out of bounds means any person other than my spouse and out of balance means that we want to possess and consume them in our hearts without regard to their dignity or equality seeing and acknowledging beauty is not a sin. We were made to desire the beauty of God's creation, and it becomes lust when we want to possess what is not ours. It's so much easier for us to say, Father, take that desire away from me. But the Lord's like, That's not who I've created you to be. He has created us to desire. But that desire becomes lust when it becomes out of bounds and out of balance. We do not want him to take away that desire because I want to desire my wife and no one else. Lust is dangerous and it's not fit for the life of a Christ follower. Lust takes what is beautiful about a person's body or their personality or the way that we feel when we're around them. And it will cheaply satisfy a need in me. When we give in to lust, we short-circuit all the goodness that we were meant for. For true intimacy, for true vulnerability, for honor and delight of our spouse. Lust looks to consume and possess people without regard to their dignity and equality. When we give in to lust, we are bypassing what the Lord has planned for us. Lust and desire was made for a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship. And it was made so that there. it's not just the physical act. Murder is the physical act. Anger is the internal posture that contributes to it. Adultery is a physical act, an external act. Lust is the internal posture that contributes to it. But The Lord placed that desire in us to be intimate with our spouses. Because it's not just about the act of being with our spouse. It's about being vulnerable before them. About being exposed before them. Being truly intimate with them. And about honor and dignity with our spouse. And Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. And if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And he urged his followers to make costly decisions in regard to anger and to lust. I do not think that he meant for the church to be completely dismembered when we gather together on Sundays. But what he is saying is that this is costly. Anger, leave your offering there and go make it right. Lust, gouge your eye out or cut off your arm. If it causes you to sin, get rid of it. It's not worth it. There has to be a sense of urgency with, when dealing with our sin. We can't afford to be lackadaisical with our sin. It has real consequences. Lust and anger will destroy you, your walk with the Lord. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your job, your career, your church, your ministry, whatever it is. Anger and lust are like any other sin. If it's undealt with, unchecked, unrepented of, then it will destroy families. If you're gonna overcome lust, the first one it says to be free, sin is defeated. The old is gone, the new is come. Like, how, do, how, how ever could we possibly be free from lust? One, you have to walk in who you are. You, Jesus on the cross, it is finished. You, you don't have to, in your own self will, your self power, make it happen, because you're not going to, you're gonna fail every time. But when you surrender it to Jesus' blood, to the work on the cross, when you begin to view yourself as a child of God, when you begin to view your brothers and sisters in Christ as that way, then all of a sudden, it's not as appealing to you anymore. But can I tell you to to just be free, to walk in the freedom. Before, we were slaves to sin, but now not any longer. We're we're co-heirs with Christ, that, that... before it was it was not like before we were christ followers we didn't have a choice to sin that's just what it was we sinned we were slaves to sin but now as christ followers it's it's a choice to sin you don't just accidentally sin you choose you deliberately whether consciously or subconsciously make plans to sin so i'm telling you be free be ruthless about it like we are willing to fight in sports, in basketball, like we're willing to fight for jobs and careers and more money and raises and like, oh, I'm going to go tell that boss that I need to get paid more uh, because I deserve it. But, but yet we won't tell lust to get out of our lives. We're like, oh, I guess that's just what I have to deal with. This is my thorn, like Paul had a thorn. That's one excuse that we get to let ourselves off the hook easy with. But can I tell you, be ruthless. We fight for so many things. We fight for our fitness. Like we'll wake up every morning and do all the right things to make sure. And every day we'll count our calories and make sure and exercise and all that. And all of a sudden when it comes to sin, it's just like, oh, well. I guess I'll just tell I'm always doing that. Or, oh, I I didn't sin in three days. I I didn't give in to lust. These last three days, that's a new record. Be ruthless about it and be satisfied. He is all that you need. He's a good father. He didn't give you the desires without a way for them to be met in a healthy relationship. Anger and lust hidden in our hearts reveal our desperate need for Jesus. The reason Jesus said, you have heard that it said, do not commit, adul- commit murder, the sixth commandment. The seventh, do not commit adultery. He said, hey, just a little bit further. Because you can look at yourself and say, I, didn't do, I haven't done those. I'm, I'm in good shape. But Jesus said, look at your heart. Because anger and lust that are hidden in our hearts reveal our desperate need for a Savior. Because we can convince ourselves that we're not as bad as somebody else. Because externally, everything looks good. I think so many times we say, Father, if you just knew, if they knew what was in my heart, man, that wouldn't be good. Because anger and lust, when they're hidden in our hearts, reveal our desperate need for Jesus. You absolutely need Jesus. You might not have murdered somebody. You might not have committed adultery. But there is anger and there is lust inside of your heart. And that is made to reveal our need for a Savior. The law came through Moses, and it was to reveal our need for a Savior. And Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. Anger and lust unite in their enjoyment of power over another person. That's what anger and lust really is about. It's about power. Anger says, you hurt me and I'm going to hold this over you until I feel like it. Or, you did that to me, so now you owe me. And the power is in our hands and we release it whenever we're ready. Lust says, I'm going to use you and consume you and there's nothing you can do about it because the power is in my hands. Anger and lust will distract us from who we are and our purpose on this earth. When we become attached to things with no eternal value about getting even getting revenge and satisfying our desires, anger and lust will consume you mentally. It will cause you to, that's all you can think about. If you're angry with somebody, it doesn't matter what situation comes up. If somebody's talking about something, you're like, yep, you know what? That just that reminds me of how this person treated me. It's all you can think about. And you're like, they'll be talking about like cupcakes and you're like, you know what? That reminds me of the way they treat. I'm like, how did you get that from cupcakes? Like, cupcakes are good. There's nothing, but like when you're angry, When you have bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, that's all you can think about. And what the enemy does with you on that is he distracts you from walking out in your purpose and your destiny. Because all of a sudden you're not thinking about the homeless person that's asking for money right there. You're not asking, Lord, how can I be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Because all you're thinking about is how they hurt me, what they did to me, what they owe me. It's a lot easier to avoid murder and adultery than anger and lust. It's more difficult to change the way we view ourselves in relations to others. It's easy to to avoid murder and adultery, but it's a lot harder to change the way that I view myself in relation to others. I I can avoid adultery, but can I look at a woman and see her as God's creation, as beautiful, but yet not allow my heart to go any further because I see her as a child of God, as a sister in Christ, who one day I'm going to spend eternity with that person. Can I change the way that I view others in my relation to them? That's a lot harder. Anger and lust hidden in our hearts reveal our desperate need for Jesus. We're going to wrap up with this. We're going to take a moment before the Lord. We're going to allow him to speak to us Allow him to reveal where anger and lust have gotten to your heart. And then all we're going to do is we're going to repent and commit to do better.